0: Investing is a lot like a chainsaw, really useful in the right situation. Just, you know, don't bring it in the house and be careful.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Wade, and I'm joined with, by my lovable co-host, Alex, as well as we have a special guest again this week, Bob French, for an lovable, ongoing series on so. investing. <laughs> What's that? Yes, lovable no. as well, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: now wait—is he really a special guest? If he's on week after week,
1: yeah, at some point he he special by definition. Into... <laughs> hey, it's always special when I'm okay. here. That's right.
2: Now I do have a bone to pick with Bob, as you know. I'm gonna—I can't believe you even texted us this. I was like, yeah, what? A, we... what a, what's it called? Har-martia, is it Harmartia or Harmartia? I don't know how to uh, pronounce it. The Greek tragic flaw. <laughs> <laughs> So last yeah, week, yeah. Bob, I asked Bob about the basics of like, you know, we were discussing the markets and how at this basic level, we, we weren't an impression a lot of folks, you know, to some extent, and I didn't until I really got into it, don't know
3: how it really works or what it kind of is other than just saying, oh, it's the market, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's this like psychological thing where you ask somebody to some extent, and like how do how do things work that? We're emotionally involved with on in the everyday basis. And I you know, and a, a classic example again is just say, how does a toilet work, right? And just listen to that other person go
2: on. And Bob very confidently explained how the toilet worked, this and that involves and, valves. and <laughs> if you're above the hemisphere, it goes uh-huh. clockwise. If you're below uh-huh. the hemisphere, <laughs> it goes counterclockwise. You've
0: seen a very and, different memory of this conversation than I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: something else. That's my own issue.
2: That's my own baggage.
1: Yeah, I so remember wait, an aside that what, Bob was going to be installing a new toilet over the weekend. Yes,
2: yes. yes. And obviously, he just he just gave us a dissertation on how toilets work. But little did we know, we get a text, Wade and I, hey, guys, I'm going to be late today. I'm having a plumber installing, <laughs> he's going to install a toilet. And wait, what did you respond
1: to him? I thought you said in the last episode you were going to do that yourself. That's right.
0: And Bob, what did you I, respond to I, I, That was the plan. And then I realized that was an absolutely horrific idea. So, yep.
2: okay. And capitalism works. So that's pretty it's much, specialization. that's yeah. pretty much today's podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> today's podcast, podcast, you know?
1: <laughs> Whenever you're dealing with running water, it can get pretty dicey. So yep. I understand. The, the cost of my time. <laughs> what about running water? the
0: expected cost of the chance of them having to come out and fix it, which is frankly incredibly high. Plus whatever I broke is going to be a lot higher than just paying them to do it the first time. So uh, I don't
3: know. I, I thought I thought we were going to take that little clip of you explaining uh-huh. the toilet and put it uh-huh. on a
2: YouTube video like how to put Start it on like a YouTube
1: how, yeah. yeah yeah a how uh-huh. to
2: video on YouTube because I was just like blown
0: yep. away I would encourage everyone to go back and listen to that like five second clip that Alex has apparently misremembered as this thesis on the inner workings of toilets here uh-huh. uh,
2: we're gonna send that clip right to uh-huh. the Smithsonian uh-huh. what are you talking about <laughs> No, no, no. So, what do we, what, what do we got, what are we talking about today, I it was Bob? The entire episode was just talking about how I hired a plumber, but yeah I can probably stretch actually, it because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of little. <laughs> yeah,
0: the comments may be a little interesting after the fact, but, but no, I think this week we're talking about you know last week we talked about what the markets are. This week we're going to talk about. Well, why do we get involved? Why are we doing anything with them rather than just letting those companies do their thing? Why, as retirement investors, do we invest in the financial markets? Um, And and that's a pretty fundamental question, Um, you know, because it's risky. Why are we putting our money at risk here? What do we what do we get out of it?
3: Okay. Uh, Bob, I, and I, 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 and Wade, we should have prefaced this before the, the, the podcast when we were saying, okay, what are we going to talk about? Uh, I'd like to, no, You're this just is a, on a court. serious <laughs> note. No, no, I know. Right. But this is more on a, on a serious note. Let's do you mind taking just two or three minutes, Bob, beforehand, uh, just because of the news from yeah, the other day, uh, absolutely. you know, I, I think this is, I, I I'll start it yeah. off and then I'll give it to you since you knew him personally, but Dan Wheeler, uh, someone that was immensely influential in the careers of many, many advisors, myself included. He was effectively my introduction to the financial services. He, uh, he worked with, he, he's the one that brought advisors over to DFA, he changed dimensional fund advisors from an institution only firm to one that attracted advisors so then they can, they can provide you know, dimensional fund advisors to consumers. And he was effectively for me a force of nature, but he was my initial introduction to the financial services industry, and I was immensely fortunate to have someone of his ethical grounding and and just overall way of being as my introduction, because it really set my trajectory in a, in a significantly positive manner. And uh, I, I think he goes and you know he'll go and notice because unless you're in the industry, you you, you won't know who he is. But he's somebody that. That really impacted millions of, of retail investors to the positive, and I just want to give my my thank you, Dan, for that.
0: Yeah, um, Bob? no, I and mean, Dan, um, well, he passed. I guess it was last week when this this comes out, um, you know. And and Alex, as Alex said, I mean, he was really the person who made dimensional funds and and really all of these kind of institutional type funds available. To individual investors, he really is the one who brought that through the advisor space, and then you know, continuing that trajectory on, really made those available to to millions of people. And he was a truly amazing person, um, you know, across all sorts of different spectrums. Um, you spend any time with advisors who have worked with him, or just people who have worked with him, and I was lucky enough to start my career working for him, um, right out of school in the dimensional funds and the financial advisors group, they, uh, they always have Dan stories, uh, either stories he told things he did. Um, you know, he really was a, a larger than life type of person. Um, and you know, he, he made the world a, at least for investors, uh, a significantly better place, um, and, and really brought that, Brought that institutional uh, style of investing, uh, the abilities from there to individuals. Um, you know, so he's someone who has had a massive, massive impact uh, for the better on this industry. So I, I don't know that there's much more no, to say that without me. getting into a uh, whole, no. whole session on, on Dan's stories. No, 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 no. Which, again, we very easily could do. <laughs> And it probably would be one of the more entertaining no. episodes too.
3: So, no, no, no. He was a he was a character on, on, on many levels. But just wanted to bring it up because he's somebody that it just deserves absolutely mentioning. I mean, he he's truly impactful to folks that don't even know who he is. And that's you know that's a measure of a man. You know, to a large extent. Uh, that being the case, the in, in this episode, why, why do we invest, right? Uh, but. Wade, would you like maybe giving a a quick review of last week and just the main tenets as we onboard into this one in case, uh, you know, somehow somebody missed last week's episode?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think really like last week, if you think of the theme of it, it was really like the building blocks of what are financial markets? What is the bond market? What is the stock market? How do they work? Uh, How do they provide any sort of return to investors? And the differences between stocks and bonds, with bonds having fixed coupon payments, or you're effectively lending money to a firm to receive payment back with interest. The stock market being different, with like you're getting an ownership stake in the company, and that gives you a right to the future earnings of the company and whether those earnings are paid to you now as dividends, or whether the company reinvests those earnings because they believe they have the ability to obtain greater growth so that you will then subsequently receive even greater dividends in the future. Uh, It's really two different approaches to investing. and, And ultimately, the asset allocation becomes how do you put together an investment portfolio with these different types of assets? So it was, yeah, this broad introduction to what financial markets are all about. And I think continuing with that theme this week into like why do people invest or what is it like we we talked about the building blocks how do those building blocks work together to then provide some sort of expected return to the investor and ultimately the I, I know with the first bullet point that Bob has in his outline about the kind of theme for today it's it's actually Alex's favorite expression that the uh, the market doesn't owe you a retirement but why might you think you may be able to fund a retirement by investing in the market? If I can kind of give a, the idea yeah. of what we're going to be discussing today. And yeah. And so,
3: it's, it's my, it's my favorite expression, but I, I took it from Weston <laughs> Wellington who we, we, I think Bob is trying to get him uh, later on in, in this series and it's stuck with me ever since. But uh, I, I I think it also, that that phrase has a lot of implications. It even has implications from what we talked about last week, which was, you know, at the end of the day, the stock market is a form of financing Mm -hmm. for companies. You know, those are one of the building blocks that we were talking about. And what does that mean? I mean, it's, you know, a company pre-IPO seeks to finance growth or pay back older investors, existing investors. and they go to the stock market as one of the options for that. So it, it's really a form of financing. And then even in the secondary market, you know, it, it's it's the continuation of that because they could be active participants in issuing shares, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but at the end of the day, I I, I do think it's it's very true because it's, it's about financing a company. It's not about a magical place where you put in $10,000 and it's a God-given right three years later to take out Ten thousand five hundred, or whatever. It's it's not that at all. It's 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 a function of capitalism. But- no,
0: that's that's absolutely right. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I always think of when we're investing, we're getting our returns from the market because of risk. Um, that's that's fundamentally how this works, and we'll talk a lot more about that concept uh, in future episodes. And really diving in, what does that mean? What are the implications there? But let's just take it right now as an article of faith, risk and return are two sides of the same thing. You don't get any returns without taking on any sorts of risk. Um, You can take on risk that doesn't give you returns, but there's no returns without risk. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals.
3: And and with that, Bob, and this is more of a, a personal take and Wade as well, I, I know I've mentioned it. I, I know speaking with thinking, I don't know if it was on the podcast or just offline, but again, going back to that risk, you need to have risk, and it's a form of financing. And again, this goes back to why invest in the market, right? My issue, and, and to some extent, uh, with the thinking of the market is this magical place where if I put in ten thousand dollars, I put in a hundred thousand dollars, ten years later, I am going to get out mm-hmm. x amount simply or because even, historically you know, that's some how it is. larger number. Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. X plus whatever. Right. Uh, it's again. It's this. And it's my god given right. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. That that I think is a dangerous thing. And and I think in in a funny sort of way, because of the four hundred and one k's, because of this huge amount of investing that's happened over the last, let's say, twenty five years. I, I think there starts to there's starting to be this push and pull because again the market in its purest form it's a form of finance right full stop but you hear you know I I get on CNBC as you know I always do right uh, and and but you start hearing stories I don't know when or or what presidential whatever but you start hearing literally folks that are in the industry pundits saying. Oh, the Fed will never let the market go down because of 401k mm-hmm. investors. Oh, the president will never let the whatever happen negatively because of current investors in the market. And so, this kind of leads to a weird artificial pricing schema that that I I, I think is not good over the long term for obvious reasons. Because at at heart, if it's a form of financing, then You know, you can't put artificial puts just because it's going to hurt people in retirement. I'm saying that with a cold, cold view of things, and I get that, but it's not a good vibe to kind of pretend that if you put them put money in the market, it's going to go up because the the government will never let it go down.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think a lot of that um, one is just straight up not true, as we've seen, uh, you know, over the past. You know, we had 2008. We've got, you know, the post-pandemic period where the market was going down. uh, Well, still going on. Um, You know, that's just not true that the I mean, the Fed may try and, you know, prop things up a little bit. But there's there's only so much they can do. Um, The president would love to make sure he could never or they could never or they could prevent the market from ever going down. That's clearly not the case. Uh, They can't keep the market going up either. Uh, They don't have that much control there. But the market is going to do what it's going to do. And when we get involved in that, we have to accept it. You know, I always kind of think about the market as a a power tool for investing. It's really, really useful. But it's also really easy to hurt yourself um, because it is risk. The market does go down. You know, there's this idea out there of time diversification. If you just invest for a long enough period of time, you're going to get a good result. Mm. It's worked out like that by and large, um, but there's nothing saying it has to. There's nothing saying that if you leave your money alone for 30 years, you're guaranteed to get some sort of return. Uh, you know, some sort of average return, and the market will pull you back and forth to kind of get you to that point. Uh, it doesn't work like that. The average return is just what it is happens it, to have averaged. Is it safe to say that
3: the bet, if you're looking at the time diversification, is not necessarily
0: the market, like, but really it's the bet on capitalism? Well. So I think the broader concept of investing is the bet on capitalism. The idea of time diversification. Yeah, what yeah. does that let's, mean? Let's because get that maybe back that's to like, time yeah. diversification with what I'm actually going down that road on. They, like I said, there's this idea out there that investing gets safer the longer you do it. Um, that, you know, okay, yeah, we might have a couple bad years here and there. Um, but, you know, if you stick around, you're, you know, the chances that things will turn around goes up and up and up. And that's true to a certain extent, but not in the, not how it matters. So one of the things that I always come back to is we eat total returns, not average returns or not annualized returns. And what this means is that you know, what we care about at the end of the day. So, you know, if I'm investing, I'm looking at my retirement portfolio, you know, I got 20, 30 years before retirement. I care what my dollar value at retirement is going to be, not what, you know, some average return type of number is. And, you know, if we're going to be forecasting out what my average return looks like, yeah, that might converge towards the historical average return. But if we're looking at the total value of my portfolio in 30 years, that spreads exponentially. You know, it's basically two parabolas, or not two parabolas, but two curves diverging from each other um, in terms of what your total return, what your dollar value will look like at the end of the period. Investing gets riskier as you do it, but we still By and large, most people still choose to do so. And that's not a bad choice. It's just about making sure you understand the choice that you're making. And then how does that integrate with the rest of your kind of retirement income plan? How does that integrate with your retirement income style? And what makes sense in your particular situation? Now,
3: so, something, something that w- while you were speaking, I was thinking of something that Wade and I have spoken about before. And, and Wade, you may want to chime in. And it, I don't think it's quite the fragile decade, but maybe it is. I'm, I'm not sure. But it's this concept. You know how the longer you invest, your assets grow, but you know the potential you could have a downfall later on as you get closer to retirement can really hit you harder than than most.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's that those pivotal years around the retirement date where often we think of as a long-term investor, you may think the market's going to go up over the next 30 years, but if you get a downturn early on, uh, you might find out that uh, you just don't get to benefit from that long-term market performance. So it's, it's part of that issue that you just... Uh, need to make sure that you're going to be able to get through any sort of market downturn. And to the point that you don't know what the markets are going to do, you can't just assume they're going to go up all the time. That is a big difference between the different retirement styles, just how much comfort someone has with the idea that markets will go up when they need them to go up in those pivotal years around the retirement date.
0: Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on when you're intentionally putting your money at risk. And I know we're we're harping on this, but we're harping on, on that point for a really important reason. You're putting your retirement assets at risk. And for some people, that makes perfect sense that you're doing that to get a potentially higher return. But not necessarily everyone, um, especially once we get towards the point where we're going to be using that for income. Um, you know, when people are young and in the accumulation phase, you know, that's a really, really common strategy. That's not the only strategy you can use, but it's a really, really common one to, to invest in the market, you know, some ratio of stock to bonds. But, you know, as you get closer and closer to retirement or into retirement, um, you know, that, that changes based on your style. I,
3: I, I think it's a great point. I, I really... Uh... Just basing this on when you know so folks come in right there's a prospect and they're coming in for a discovery meeting and you're hashing out what they want and, and et cetera I, I think one of the biggest values that those discussions bring is really contextualizing mm-hmm. why they, they why they want to invest I, I can't stress enough uh, somebody doesn't just bring us ten thousand dollars and say I want this to turn into three million in five years. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. It really is more there's a nest egg that can support a, a current standard of living, you know, at, right now. But to maintain supporting that current standard of living, there needs to be an investment thesis around it. But it's not just the investments. It's just, just not investments because there's different types of goals, et cetera. And so this is where, you know, Wade c- came up with a retirement income optimization map. And if you really think about it, you, you, you look at your assets, you know, across three, three prongs here where there is your diversified portfolio. And I'm, I'm putting on my retirement income hat on, right? Not necessarily I'm in my 20s and I'm accumulating assets. You know, there's, there's the, 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 the investment portfolio. But there's also, you know, can you develop reliable income streams for essential expenses and can you develop reserve assets, for more liquidity kind of needs, if you will. And I think looking at, at those three factors to get together and you know really provides a more complete picture. And it, it brings to light how much do I need within the diversified portfolio because that's, that's where you're looking at risk at a higher level. And I can't stress enough. Risk becomes a choice. It's, it's not the sort of mandatory thing that you have to hit over your head. Some folks have already – wait, who said that? You know, if you've already won the game, why keep playing? I, I, I yeah, forget. yeah, that's
1: uh, William Bernstein. Uh, he's Oh,
2: really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, one of his six books. I, I'm just, <laughs> that's I the, title the chapter. Of a that. lot of books <laughs> advisors write as well. So.
3: No, but it's a, it's a phrase that's interesting because it what it does is it, it just brings to light this kind of conversation, which is – Listen. Why are you investing in the markets, right? But why are you? It it can't just be because I want more money. More is better than less money. It it, it really is about kind of structuring the context of why. And wait, you maybe want to ex- expand upon that with, with with regards to the retirement income optimization map and the like.
1: Well, yeah, it's about this idea of of risk capacity, partly, and of thinking about just the the symmetry of things with. If you already have plenty of money to be able to meet your goals and you could take a portion of that and lock it in so that you never switch from being overfunded to underfunded for retirement due to market losses, you might want to consider taking that risk off the table. And that's really the idea. It's Suppose you like you, you've got enough money to meet your goals and you think about, well, how happy would I be if my money doubles on top of that? Of course, it might make you a little happier, but you already have the funds needed to meet your goals. You might improve your lifestyle a little bit, but it's not necessarily anything outrageous that it's going to improve your, your standard of living in retirement versus the opposite of that is, what if something happened where those funds dropped in half? That could significantly derail the retirement. And, and that's how to think about risk in the context of, do you even need to take risk? Or if you are overfunded, do you just want to take a portion of that and shift from the diversified portfolio to reliable income to take that risk off the table? And and not everyone wants to. I mean, if you're more probability based, you don't need to, you don't see the need to make sure you have enough reliable income to cover core spending needs. If you're more safety first, that would be a more attractive alternative to just not have to worry as much about the possibility of shifting from overfunded to underfunded in retirement. And, And so- that's if you need the rate of return. If you don't need the rate of return, it's a different way of thinking about investing. Just in the context of of how that relates to the specific financial goals that you have.
3: No, I correct. I mean, listen it's not it's not about shooting for that big number. It really is just just trying to get contextually what you wanted to accomplish. I there was a recent update to you know that happiness study that they've been like a longitudinal study in Harvard <laughs> where you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but you know, e- effectively, there's there's a certain level of wealth that kind of covers covers you from you know having to survive and having to worry about things that are more you know hierarchy of needs you know lower base hierarchy of needs in nature. And once you get past that, the higher levels of wealth, you know that you, you get you get to a point where there is this marginal utility. Yes, more is better than less, but in terms of an existential peacefulness. I, th- I think you run into a, a ceiling at a certain point. And so, like I said, it, it becomes sort of an option. And the reality is I, d- I don't think there's any self-respecting advisor. Here comes the <laughs> emails, by the way, that, that if you're doing a financial plan or something like that and you have to count on, a, on an expected return greater than like 8% for you to accomplish <laughs> some sort of goal that you want. I don't think any you know I don't think they'll be like, yeah, no problem we got this in the bag you know we're gonna we're gonna stake we're gonna buy some crypto and stake it on the Kraken system and you know off you go oh it, no no one would do that they, they would kind of they would tell you okay let's let's reassess your goals let's see what things we can control that could help you achieve it but the reality is in the advisory space, if you have an advisor that just takes your money and says, look, we're going to get you more money and, you, you know, in five years you'll have more money and then you can decide what to do then, that's not the way to go about it. It really is trying to assess and goals will yep. change. We get that, you know, but it's really trying to assess some sort of endpoint and then back into what you need to do to structure that. And then there's always rinse, repeat and reassess and all of that stuff. But that's how it goes. And so it's very important for you to really have a good idea why you're investing. If, if, you're, if you're sitting down listening to this and, you know, let's say you've just retired and there's this new investment theme that's kind of capturing your attention and you're thinking, hey, maybe I should put 30% in this because who knows? You know, it could grow and you're kind of living pretty well right now. You don't have an anchor. And that at the end of the day is going to come back and bite you.
0: No, but, absolutely. I think that idea of backing into your portfolio, um, or, or really your your plan, is incredibly important. You always start with where do you want to go, compare it to where are you now, and then you figure out that bridge. You figure out what you need to do to jump that space to get to the place that you want to go, and you know obviously the specifics are going to really come down to what's your retirement income style, because um, that kind of lays out what kind of the, the best approaches are or the mo- ones that you're comfortable with. Um, and then you just figure out, okay, how do we do this? It's an engineering problem to a certain extent at that point. And what do you feel comfortable with? Um, and sometimes that push and pull is going to mean that you have to change your goals because getting to uh, whatever your goals are from where you start now isn't really feasible or or puts you at more risk than you're comfortable with. But that's the process. Um, You back into your portfolio and you back into one that will be able to be comfortable for you to be able to stick with uh, through however long we're talking about here.
3: Yeah. And I think, too, when you contextualize your investment experience, when you contextualize why you're investing – it gives you look as humans, we're 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 prone to biases. We're we're prone to making terrible mistakes when it comes to investing. Although very good for our adaptive survival, they're they they're they're, <clears throat> they're maladaptive in a in a significant way on orders of magnitude when it comes to investing. And just knowing them isn't going to help you. But putting yourself in situations and environments in which there's guardrails in place is really the best that we could offer right now. And and some of that is being sure that you've contextualized the investment experience because if you know why you're investing, you can always go back to that during moments of duress, during moments of well, what's going on with the market? Doesn't it know it owes me a retirement? No, it doesn't. It doesn't care. It's agnostic. <laughs> you know, it's not there for you. You're there for that. You're there for the market, not the other way around. <laughs> yep. You know, and but because of that, Bob, what what do you think? You know, contextualize it. What happens when does how well does the financial industry do to help you contextualize the investment oh, experience? Horrible. How altruistic are they? <laughs>
2: um, you know,
0: and and we've in a number of different avenues, we've all kind of talked about this individually about how the financial market or financial media, um, and financial services industry as a whole, um, is just horrific at helping investors and helping retirees reach whatever it is that's appropriate to them. Um, you know, We'll get into this a lot more um, You know, in a future episode where we're actually talking specifically about the financial media. But but long and short of it is the financial media, um, we'll, we'll separate these, you know, the financial media and the financial services industry. Financial media, their incentive is not for you to have a good investing experience. Uh, their incentive is for you to... Keep watching, uh, or keep reading, or whatever it is. You are the product being sold in ninety-five percent of the cases. Your attention is what they are selling to their actual customers, the advertisers. Um, so, if they give you good information, if that if that good information is what keeps you watching, great. You know, they're not necessarily bad people. You know, they'd like to help you if they can, but. But that's not their, their ultimate objective. The financial industry, financial services industry as a whole, by and large, up till relatively recently, and still relatively, or for a very, very, very large chunk of the, the industry, is about getting you to do something. It's about getting you to buy something, or sell something, or make some change in your portfolio whether that's appropriate or not, whether that serves your end goal or not. So by and large, you don't have that many people out there actually actively trying to help you reach your ultimate objectives. You know, they're all out to do something different. And again, you know, I'm not going to say they're, they're out to hurt you. It's just that their goals are different from yours. And that's really, really important to recognize. Are you getting close to or are you in retirement? Well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement. And now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com slash eight tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's eight tips to becoming a retirement income investor by going to retirementresearcher.com slash eight tips. That's the number eight tips.
3: Yeah, I I think, listen, when I, I, I love the markets, I really do. That's why I initially got into this. And I like it. And I watch CNBC. I, it's part of my morning routine as I'm drinking my coffee. Is I work from my house, I'll have lunch downstairs. I'll, I'll put it on. But I, I can't stress enough. I don't watch it for stock ideas for me to trade on. I watch it really to keep up with like current events in the markets, in the industry. Some people watch sports shows, you know, if you will, just and watch highlights just to see what's going on. That kind of thing because they're interested in baseball, football, what have you. I literally just like the whole news of companies. It's it's one of those things. Some people like C-SPAN, right? (laughs) So I I really watch CNBC just to keep up with current events. Now there is a part of me that watches it to see the antithesis of what good advice is like, you know, that kind of thing. And there's maybe a little bit of shot in fruit that goes on there, especially when Kramer makes a pick. But the the reality is I I don't watch it, so I get stock ideas. I watch it just to like be just just to listen in because I like it. I, I think the problem happens when I'm at the age too when you know some of my friends they've had you know good professional success, they have extra capital and they start I, I think I, I put in I, I read a text last week, but they start sort of saying, hey, I want to take a flyer on this. Hey I want to take a flyer on that, but it's not my investments. It's just you know a, a flyer. I get that and if it's entertainment it's entertainment but I, I think that's a slippery mm-hmm. slope sometimes. And, uh, you know, it grows and grows and grows. It doesn't go less and less and less, you know, with regards to that. And before you know it, you know, you've lost complete context of why you're investing other than I want to potentially get a 10 bagger. I've never gotten a 10 bagger in my life and Johnny down the street got one, so I won't, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. And I think this is, you know, it, it's hard to sort of separate yourself from that thinking if you don't contextualize why you're investing.
1: Wait. And there's Yeah, there's an important distinction, too, between being a long-term investor, which often means just allowing the markets to hopefully grow as the economy grows over time versus this idea that you should always be taking some sort of action and you need to be trading or buying and selling on an ongoing basis when the reality is that can cause you more trouble than if you just have that more simple buy and hold strategy. But with the consumer media and and with the type of financial services that are paid based on trading activity, a long-term investor who buys an asset and holds it for the next 30 years isn't uh, something that's really going to help those uh, other types of individuals uh, succeed in their businesses. And and that's where we have to think about investing as as a long-term investor is not necessarily benefiting from that type of ongoing advice and churning and buying and selling and trading activity uh, that the financial media may push for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and there's always those, I think it's apocryphal studies because I've seen it from like every custodian about, um, you know, how their best performing accounts are the dead people who, you know, never closed out their accounts. Um, You know, the accounts no one ever opens because they don't trade. Uh, Now, I'm, that might be true. That probably is true, in all honesty. Um, I've never seen the underlying study everyone always talks about. But, you know, it's that exact same idea. You know, the more you. Wait, you I, know, wait,
1: I think that study is apocryphal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could be. I think there's plenty of evidence that people who trade less tend to perform better. There's absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. If
0: absolutely so. <laughs> a lot of evidence on that. Um, you know, one of the ways I've heard it described is, you know, Your money is like soap. The more you touch it, the less you have. Um, You know, and and that's for any number of reasons. Um, You know, both because we're just bad at investing. Where you got to trade, or you got to pay in most cases for for each and every trade. You got to deal with taxes. There's all sorts of things going on there. So you know, the less you actually do with your money, the more you just keep it going along, keep sticking to that plan. You know, throw your money in while you're working, or you know, pull your money out on on time when you're pulling your money out in retirement. By and large, that's that's the right approach. That's the strategy that's going to have the best results. That's the one that also
3: aligns with the whole thesis of why you mm-hmm. would be investing from a from, even from a capitalism standpoint. What you're doing is you're getting your 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 proportionate share of returns from participating in capitalism by funding these companies. You know, that's really where, where it's at. And that, that aligns with the whole theme of the capital markets. I mean, you could try to play and get in and get out and get in and get out and, and so forth or, you know, spot something. But it's it's just not going to happen. The results don't, don't show that. And if you take a step back and think about it, if, if – as opposed to that show Fast Money that does a sort of what's your best trading theme for the day and, you know, at 4 o'clock or whenever whenever, whenever it is, it's Bob Wade and myself and we're talking about the day's actions. Uh, and we just say buy and hold today, buy and hold today, buy and hold today. <laughs> but let, instead of one stock, let's buy 40 stocks. And we say the same thing every day, every day, every day, every day. I don't think – I don't – well – Bob may get a lot. Yeah, he'll have a little fandom, but Wade well, and I won't. Uh, you know, we won't. We won't. We won't have a. We won't have a show. And Bob, you 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 told a story was, about Dan about a while ago. Yeah. Why don't you introduce that and so, yeah, bring it um, full circle here a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So
0: this is actually something that the Dan Wheeler. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I will say this as a, prefer- a preface to this story. Um, when when Dan Wheeler told a story, you were never a hundred percent sure how much was true and how much was making a point, I'll say. Uh, But a parable, parable. yeah. Um, (laughs) But, you know, for, I forget exactly when, I I think it was in the seventies. He was living in Idaho and, you know, he was a a financial advisor in Idaho. Um, And, you know, he was the guy on the local news, giving the market report every day. Thing is, He recorded that around noon every day. Uh, So he would record kind of the the main section talking about, you know, hey, here's here's what happened. But he would also record a little section for if the market went up and a little section for (laughs) if the market went down. And then they would just play the appropriate one uh, on the nightly news. And, yeah, um, I mean, it was... I have to imagine the industry's changed a little bit since then with the financial media and the level of sophistication. Um, but it's that same sort of idea. What he was really getting at is, you know, this level of analysis, this level of day to day or week to week, or even month to month, possibly even year to year, doesn't really give you anything to work with. It's all just noise. And it, if you really want to have a successful investing experience, a successful kind of retirement experience, if you're using the markets, it needs to be focused in on that much, much longer term approach. As Alex was talking about, you want to be piggybacking off of capitalism. You want to be getting that kind of incremental return, your share of those returns to get you where you want to go.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen. I, I've I've met many people over the course of twenty years of my career in finance. Many highly intelligent people. I put my money on Wade and Bob as being up there with any of them. And I've <laughs> never said this, and
2: it breaks my heart to have to say this. You know, Bob knows how hard, difficult it is for me to say this. But <laughs> but that Wade expects. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but I mean, th- th- honestly.
3: I put my money on them. And what do they do? You know, think about it. If anyone could, you know, buy stocks and this and that and figure it all out, it would be them. They choose not to for a reason. I mean, that that could be the whole podcast and say, "Good night, ladies and gentlemen," you know, kind of thing. But they 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 they're very sanguine about the markets and investing, don't get me wrong. But they don't they don't partake in I'm going to outperform, I'm going to outguess, I'm smarter than everyone else, you know, kind of thing. They just piggyback off capitalism to get these expected returns. And I can't stress enough, anyone whose retirement is predicated on needing 10 plus percent return, you're going to need 90 percent luck behind you, you know, for for this to, to be to be able to pull this off. I mean, bottom line, you're, you're, you're not a genius. You're not going to, oh, I'm going to invest in, uh, I don't know, give me some sort of cybersecurity company, you know, Palo Alto Networks because, you know, X, Y, Z. No, it's just not going to happen, man. And if it does, you're just lucky. And I know you could say, oh, you're just saying that I've given myself an argument that is is re, is not refutable. But no, we'll get into the stats, <laughs> you know, that we'll get into the stats in, in later on episodes where you can choose to ignore it. And say I'm different, I'm special because, you know, I'm a snowflake kind of thing, you know, and there's a, you know, everyone is different. But not really. Not when it comes to this. I mean, it just doesn't. And it takes humility to actually recognize that and, 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 and say that, look, I'm, I'm a participant in the market and I'm going to sort of try to piggyback off of capitalism in aggregate, in the fundamental risk that I'm going to incorporate in my portfolio.
1: Bob, Wade, uh, comments, thoughts? I think that that's a great way to sum things up. And it's probably just worth talking about what we're going to be going into in the next couple of weeks with trying to build that argument more with how technical analysis and, and different types of approaches just ultimately don't work. And so that's just really building on this point of risk and return. You You decide on what's the appropriate level of risk you're willing to take higher risk should hopefully lead to higher returns, but that's over long holding periods. And that's what that whole idea of piggybacking off of capitalism is all about is giving yourself the opportunity to benefit from return by having holding periods that are sufficient, that hopefully some of those risks will balance out, but risk is always there. And that's, you can never overcome the the fact that there is risk as part of investing.
3: No, and, What helps you, though, with that is having that contextual base. And the contextual base, you know, is diversified portfolio, reliable income sources, reserves. How does that whole dynamic play out? And how does that dynamic play out to achieve my goals? And your goals in retirement are largely, we've discussed uh, a podcast just on this, longevity, lifestyle, liquidity, legacy, those things. And really engineering it. Towards that. The other point, Wade, that uh, you know, risk return, what we're going to show in the next episodes is risk and return are related. Right? But it's very possible to take on more risk without commensurate return. And that's what that to us is a no-fly zone when it comes to that. Sure, <laughs> you can structure returns per unit of risk, et cetera, et cetera, but you want to make sure that you're compensated for those risks. They don't go it's, it doesn't go back and forth. What, what's that math term that you oh, use, Bob? Right. Uh, I forget. You learn in that arithmetic, like three plus four is seven, four plus three is seven, and you go back and
2: forth. Mm-hmm. I don't remember no, what you're right,
1: right. <laughs> property or, yeah, I, or the... Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go. There you go. What is it? Like?
1: What? Is it commutative? It's one of the associative, commutative... I think it's something like that. I think or it's...
2: Or transitive, right? it's uh, transitive, yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah like, it doesn't yet, go... I think it's transitive. Transitive. I don't know how you guys remember that. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's trans. And it doesn't work like that. You know, risk and return doesn't necessarily
3: always go the other way. You want to make sure that, you know, you're compensated accordingly. And we'll show you how that falls short of the mark, you know, when you sort of deviate from this aggregate risk. Okay. I'm looking at you,
0: Bob. I've got nothing (laughs) to add at this point. So, um,. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll obviously be getting into, you know, in some later episodes, really diving into the, the inherent logic in, you know, as Alex talking about diversification and then focusing in on those risks that the market will pay you for. It. And what does that statement even mean? Um, because there's a lot behind that that needs to be unpacked uh, to really get at the inherent logic.
3: that's a
1: wrap. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll (laughs) catch you next week when we start really this, these last two episodes are more introductory and we'll, we'll really start to dive into some of these topics in greater depth. So thank you, Bob, for joining again and for joining us again in the future as well. And everyone have a great week and we'll catch you next week on retire with style.
0: Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean asset management and retirement researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.